Welcome to Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. My name is Lisa Wilkerson. Thank you for joining me for another episode of my podcast. Um, today, we are going to be talking about 311. I'll never forget. But before we do, I just want to give a very special quick announcement that I am making merchandise uh, using the logo for my podcast. And I've created some super cute things. So I will be, you know, if you've seen me on social media, you already know this, but um, I'm super excited about it. And so right now trying to figure out the best way to sell this stuff. So I will keep you posted on that. But I do want to thank you again for all your support and love and feedback um, about my new podcast. This is a huge learning curve. So yeah, I'm just very happy. So thank you so much for, you know, for listening in. So 311, I'll never forget. That's the name of the episode. And some of you might not be aware, but maybe are wondering if that's what it, we're talking about. But March 11th, 2011, um, do you remember what happened? Do you remember where you were? This is, of course, a very big date for those of us that are in any way connected to Japan, um, because it was the day when Japan had the most powerful earthquake it's ever had. Um, a arguably a 9.1. Um, there are kind of there's kind of a debate going on the exact power and strength of the earthquake, but um, according to a lot of records, it's 9.1. Um, and it happened at 2.46 p.m. Japan time. This is also arguably the fourth biggest earthquake in the world. And the reason I say arguably is because um, 1900 was when I guess they started recording earthquakes. So there could have been bigger ones prior to that. But as of 1900, this is the fourth biggest earthquake in the world. Um, it was completely devastating to me. And I know for even people that are in no way associated with Japan or with Northern Japan, um, or don't even ha really have a relationship to anything about the country, but you know, they just see the news. Like it was complete devastation. So the earthquake lasted six minutes. Um, and of course that caused the tsunami, the tsunami waves at some points were reaching 133 feet. Isn't that just, I mean, I can't even imagine, right? And then traveling at 435 miles per hour. Once more, I can't even fathom that. Um, and it went up to six miles inland, the tsunami. So the devastation was way all over the place. Um, you know, and a lot of those towns that were on the ocean were little sea towns, you know, or, you know, fish towns. And they, a lot of the houses were old. And so, I mean, it was just, yeah, complete, utter devastation. Uh, the residents in 
Sendai and some of the other cities only had about eight to 10 minutes of a warning after the earthquake and before the tsunami. So in other words, you have this crazy earthquake that goes on for six minutes. And, you know, you might think six minutes, that's not long. That is such a long time. I mean, even a 15 second or 30 second earthquake can do a lot of damage, right? And it can really rattle you. So just imagine on that strength, the 9.1 lasting for six minutes and then you get through that. And so it's like, okay, now I need to see if everyone's okay, see what kind of damage has been made. But then from that point, you only have eight to 10 minutes before the tsunami starts doing its own version of damages and destruction. Um, So another thing to keep in mind, and I kind of forgot about this until I was rereading some of the articles about the earthquake and tsunami, but the official figures as of 2021 are 19,747 deaths, um, 6,242 injured, and last but not least, 2,556 that are still missing and unaccounted for. So, Yeah, that is just a lot of damage and just a really tragic event. And for me, especially being the fact that Sendai was the first place that I lived in Japan and Sendai was part of the epicenter, really, of the earthquake. So I just watched all this tragedy unfold and it was really devastating for me, too, to watch. Um, I was actually here in the U.S. and I had just flown to Denver because I was getting ready to do an anime event, you know, where I was a guest. And so I was in Denver for the weekend. At the same time, I had three girlfriends of mine that we went to high school together in Tokyo and we were all getting together in Denver that weekend. So it was kind of a mixture of play or pleasure and work, right? So I get there to Denver. I'm hanging out with my girlfriend that actually lives in Denver and we're just having drinks, getting caught up. And I get an alert on my phone saying that there'd been a very strong earthquake in Japan. Um, I told her, I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you know, I'm sure it's fine. Now, the reason we reacted that way, if you've lived in Japan or have visited Japan or know anything about Japan, then you'll know that they have earthquakes all the time. So it's not necessarily that big of a deal, right? Um, I remember even in elementary school when I was going to American school in Japan and there were two days in a row where we had really big earthquakes And the news on TV, on the radio, like everyone was saying that there was going to be another day and uh, of earthquakes and that it was going to be the big one that Tokyo was waiting for. So I remember there was talk about possibly canceling school and all that stuff. Um, So yeah, you know, you kind of learn to deal with Um, and live with earthquakes um, of various sizes. And I can't tell you how many times I had earthquakes or felt earthquakes when I was in Japan. Um, So it's not, you know, 
I mean, you hear, oh, Japan has had an earthquake. It's like, okay, yeah, but we get them all the time. But so I went to, I went to bed, right? Because I'm thinking, eh, it's probably not that big of a deal. Then I wake up around 2.30 in the morning, really bad uh, feeling in my stomach. And I just, I just knew something was wrong. And I went to my phone and started looking through all the notifications. And that's when I saw notices from a lot of my FB family in Japan um, about, you know, so-and-so is missing or, oh my gosh, are you guys okay? And also the news notifications that were, and so many of them obviously were about the earthquake and tsunami and what was going on. And then I started to panic and then I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. So I got on my laptop and I was trying to, you know, get as much uh, information as I could. Um, what was really interesting about that is I was doing, you know, doing more research and looking at the video footage that we all saw, I'm sure, um, of the tsunami just taking over and just, you know, um, swallowing these big cars and buildings and people just being swept away, cars and buildings being swept away. I mean, it was just an utter nightmare. And I just remember thinking that, or feeling, I guess I should say, guilty um, because, you know, Japan is such a huge part of my identity and of who I am, of what I am, and how long I've lived there. So I almost felt survivor's guilt in a way. I think that's the only way that I can really describe it because it felt like everyone was having to go through this and I wasn't there to be with them, um, which is really, you know, yeah, it was really strange to me that I felt that way, but I felt an enormous amount of guilt. Um, so I started reaching out to people, checking and seeing how they were doing and, you know, where are you right now? Are you okay? And one of my girlfriends had been on the train during the earthquake and she had, I think they were just about to arrive at an area, a station called, um, train station called Ikebukuro. And it's a really big station. Um, but of course, all trains stopped during the, you know, when the earthquake first started. And then once it finished, people started getting out of the trains and actually following the tracks to walk home. And that's what my girlfriend was doing. And, um, you know, she's one of my closest friends. I've known her for years and years and years. Um, unfortunately, passed away a few years ago, but she was following the tracks, walking home, and it took her like seven hours, she said. So there was all this kind of stuff going on. And then I heard, uh, or actually I saw a post from one of my friends who I grew up with in to in uh, Sendai. And she said that she was looking for her, for her mom and she couldn't get a hold of her. And she was kind of panicking. And my friend lives here in the U.S., but she kept calling and calling. But of course, phone lines are dead. And, you know, there's just no way to reach out to her, no matter how hard she tries. So I reached out to her and I said, hey, do you want to go ahead and use my status update? And I can post the information that you posted and try to get more people on board so we can try to get this. You know, we can we can hopefully get a hold of your mom somehow. And she was on board. And so I did that. And there it started this incredible 
um, you know, of course, obviously, like so much damage. So, I mean, just so much, just so hurt, hurtful and terrible and just awful. But then there was this incredible aspect of it where we were actually using social media to try and reach people and get information for their loved ones. And it was just an amazing thing to be a part of. Now, the only reason actually I decided to do this episode, um, 311, I'll Never Forget, is because I was going through um, my social media, you know, on Facebook, and I was looking through, you know how it says, like, memories from today, uh, years ago, whatever. Like, you know, things that you posted in the past on the same day. So on 311, a couple days ago, I was actually planning on, you know, doing a very different topic for this episode. But I saw the status updates that I had posted to try and help people find their loved ones. And that's when I thought, you know, um, one of the things I love about podcasts is that you can completely pivot and do a very different thing if you want, right? You can do whatever you want to do. Like you have that freedom. So I decided to do that. And this is kind of my story about the 311 experience. So I'm going to read you very briefly some of the status updates. Here's the first one. FBA family in Japan, urgent. One of my good friends is trying to reach her mother who lives in Fukushima, one of the places greatly affected by the earthquake. She lives here in the U.S., but has been trying to reach her. And if you can somehow get a hold of a phone line, can you please try calling? And then I put the number and then the name of the mother. I'm not going to be mentioning any of the names here just because, you know, out of privacy. But um, update. The power of FB. Using my amazing FB family, we were able to reach out to the mother of one of my close friends from my childhood days in Sendai, who lives in Fukushima off the coast. You guys rock. I am in awe. Um, but that led to other people contacting me and saying, hey, there's someone else that's looking for someone. Can you please help out? So I did. Urgent. More people that we are still trying to reach. Please help in any way you can. And then I put the information for the couple that we were looking for in English and Japanese. Um, and then there's another another urgent notice, trying to reach, and then the name of a couple. They live right outside Sendai in Natori Miyagi. No contact info for them yet, but if anyone knows anything, please reach out. Their children are desperately looking for them. Um and so there was this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I can tell you that that weekend, even though it was supposed to be a super fun time, chill time um, with my girlfriends and then, you know, the work stuff that I had to do, my obligations, it ended up being mostly dedicated to this whole search and rescue-ish type thing, whatever it was that I was doing. Um, I was just on Facebook the entire time working on that and then, you know, and then going to my panels or, you know, the autograph sessions or whatever that I had to do at the anime convention. And it was, it was really interesting though, um, about the fact that this happened where in, I mean, that same weekend was that I was with girlfriends, you know, that I grew up from Japan. So we all felt a sense of helplessness and, just sadness by what we were seeing. And so 
the four of us were able to really talk about that and, you know, reminisce about Japan and everything and just watch. And, um, and so, yeah, it it was a very intense weekend. Um, but I had here something that I really like to share with you. I saw this article, which by the way, was, uh, something that I shared last year, I think. Um, yeah. 2021. And it was something that came up on March 11th. And so I shared it and it was another one of those in your memories kind of thing, you know, on Facebook. So Japanese man still searches for body of dead wife that vanished in tsunami 10 years ago. Um, And obviously, like I said, 2,556 still missing or unaccounted for. On March 11th, 2011, Yasuo Takamatsu lost the love of his life as a tsunami swept through the town he lived in, killing his wife and dragging her body away, never to be seen again. This tsunami was triggered by the Great East Japan earthquake, the most powerful seismic disaster in Japan's history. Then it goes on to give some of the stats that I gave you earlier. Um, In the oceanside town of Onagawa, Miyagi Prefecture, where Takamatsu resides, 827 lives were lost and over 70% of the buildings were destroyed. But Takamatsu, who's now 64, has refused to let the ocean claim his wife forever. In 2013, he decided to focus his events or his efforts into learning how to scuba dive. and since then, has been taking weekly dives into the sea to scour the ocean in the hopes of finding the remains of his beloved Yuko. But beside his own solo descents into the sea, Takamatsu also goes along with local authorities for underwater searches to recover the remains of the victims that went missing during during the disaster all those years ago. And I was kind of just reading through that article and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is such a great way of describing the Japanese culture and the Japanese spirit, you know, Um, to me, like, I think that, that, I mean, you know, I've spent 30 years in Japan. So obviously there's some things about Japan and the culture and whatnot that drive me crazy, but there's some things I'm just so extremely proud of. Um, and this would be one of them, that Japanese spirit, that go get him, that never give up. Um, this guy decided that I'm going to find my wife's remains. She is not going to be one of the 2,556 that are still unaccounted for, but also he is using his talent, which now includes scuba diving, um, to help find other people's loved ones as well. And it also goes on to say that because of his weekly dives that he's been doing, that he's been able to find um, various personal effects, such as clothes and photo albums. But unfortunately, he has still not yet found anything uh, related to his wife. But um, he also is quoted as saying, I dive as if I'm going to meet her someplace. I'm always thinking that she may be somewhere nearby. Um, and yeah, I just, it was such an emotional, um, when I read this, you know, I was, 
really overtaken by emotion because I just thought, oh my gosh, what a beautiful story um, about this. And it's such a tragic event. But if you're also looking for a an incredible um, story that is related to the earthquake tsunami. Um, On Netflix, there is a TV show. It's a reboot called Unsolved Mysteries. I'm a huge, huge uh, crime, you know, um, buff. And so I love all the crime stuff, but um, this one is also about like ghosts and whatnot. And in the second season, there's an episode called Tsunami Spirits, and it is about a lot of the spirits that are floating around in northern Japan after the earthquake and tsunami that have still not come to terms with the fact that they're actually gone. And um, it's just a really, really wonderful episode. It's very emotional. I, at least I got very emotional watching it, but um, I feel like it is once more such an amazing representation of Japanese culture. And, you know, they've always had a very interesting relationship with the supernatural and the spirits. Like it's not something that is Ooh, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. Like it it's kind of almost a very matter of fact thing in Japanese um life. And so that really shows up in this episode. So I highly recommend that. Anyway, so um yeah, 311, I'll never forget. And you know, I have so many friends who over the years have played such big parts in helping with the recovery and everything and um, I just find that so incredibly amazing and honorable. And, um, but you know, I just love the fact that seeing people get together and try to help each other. And, you know, I mean, you still see that now, um, but you know, it just really says a lot about human nature and puts a lot of, at least for me, um, gives me a lot of faith in us. Uh, but Anyway, so that is my episode for the day. Uh, 3.11, I'll never forget. I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you so much again for joining me on The Adventures of a Blonde Geisha. Have a wonderful day or evening or night, wherever you are listening from. Live for lots of love and peace. And I will talk to you next time. Lisa signing off. Bye. (laughs) 